Well, before we dive into today's teaching, I want to take a moment to invite everybody to join us at a special town hall meeting that's coming up in a couple weeks. Wednesday, May 25th, it's at 7 o'clock, and we did, we're able to find a location now. We'll be at Rice Creek Covenant Church. If you've been following our email updates, um, you know that we are going through a season of change, quite a bit of change. One of the things we used to say when we started our church was that change is one of our constants. Maybe some of you remember that. But we've never had a season with this much change, change coming at once. This week, Sarah Radden, our youth director, announced she's made a decision to move on. And we're sad. She is an extremely talented and gifted youth worker. And so we're sad to see her go. And then Jennifer Scott, I was talking to her this week. And uh, she's been here. She's been our director of community life now for four years. And during this time, she's been part-time at Bethel. And she's been part-time with us. And it just so happened that a fantastic full-time position opened up at Bethel, and I wish she was here this week because then she could share the way she shared with me. She says, this, I'm so sorry about the timing. And I said, me too. <laughs> Us too. But she's still going to be part of the ECC family. Um, it's, uh, she's going to be transitioning out of that position June 1st that she's in now with us, and then she'll still be doing summer on the table this summer. But we're thrilled that she'll still be here in our midst. Well, I want to thank those of you who have been sending, so many of you who have been sending me emails and and, and affirmations saying um, God wasn't surprised by any of this. Probably one of the the most common responses I've been getting from people is God, he's not surprised by by any of this, and he'll see us through. But that doesn't mean we don't have a whole lot of discussions and a whole lot of decisions ahead, you know, and we do. And so we're going to have the town hall meeting on the 25th. I'm meeting with the worship team a couple days before that. And I'm sure we're going to have a whole lot of meetings coming up where we can sit down and we can discuss and we can talk about what's going on and, and, and find out you know, what, uh, what the future looks like together. So I want to invite you into that conversation. And more importantly, and I don't just say this flippantly, I mean this, more importantly, I want to encourage all of us to continue to really be praying, really be praying. Um, if there's a silver lining in all of this that we can see right now, that is that reminder of how dependent we are on God for our every breath and for everything. Things are flowing, you know. We were, it's easy when we've got money in the bank and when we have great people in every staff position and all these things to just kind of let prayer become less and less something that we have with urgency. And boy... For us to return to that place of complete conscious dependency on God for our daily bread and for everything is so important. And that leads me to a very specific prayer. I want to encourage us, um, those of you who call this your church home, or if you'd be so kind as to pray for us, uh, in your inserts today, I put the Lord's Prayer on there. This, uh, I was finally getting to my grass, which was about four feet high, because there's been some things going on uh, this spring. Um, I was mowing that, and this, the thought of the Lord's Prayer came into my head over and over again. So I started praying it over and over again. And as I was praying that prayer, every line of that prayer, it's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray that was then also um, some other words were, were added by some other godly folks. It, every line of that prayer speaks directly to our situation as well as to our lives in general. So I want to invite you to be praying the Lord's Prayer multiple times a day with us. That would be fantastic. All right, well... Let's get into today's teaching. It was a teaching that almost didn't, well, didn't go the direction I thought it was going to go, and I'll explain that as we go on here. One of the reasons that Jesus came was to invite 
and to welcome people home. It's one of the reasons he came. And so if we're a church that is committed to following his example, that would be something that we would be about too, to invite and welcome people home. And we've found that Minnesota, uh, in the summer, that's a good time to do that because people are out and about a little bit more. A lot of people are moving and they're saying, where can I plug in? And there's a lot of folks who would be open to trying church in the summer. And so being a purposeful church, we scheduled a teaching right going into summer called Welcome Home. I just had put it on the calendar months and months ago. And our thought was, let's dig into the scriptures. Let's see what the scriptures say about this value of welcoming and inviting people home. And then let's apply it to our lives. And for this particular week, the one that's happening right now, I had penciled in the words guest room. I thought it was very clever and thought that we can go somewhere with that. Didn't know exactly where we were going to go, but I penciled that in. And, and then I penciled also, I wrote, you know, maybe we could look at the no room for us in the inn passage and juxtapose that possibly with Matthew 25. Hey, I was a stranger and you invited me in. I'm like, okay, we can probably do something. But that's about all I had, about all I had. As we got a little closer, I also had this phrase come to mind, and there's a place to write this in your notes. I thought, you know, we could talk about this perhaps. Great church families are essential to the Great Commission. I thought that it's got a nice little ring to it. Maybe we could do something with that. You know, so now we've got this idea of guest room that I had thought about. We've got this, um, this idea of great church families being essential to the Great Commission. And then we had our, what we call our invitation here at Emmanuel. Our invitation at Emmanuel is experience God with us. That's our invitation. So that's what we had. That's about it. And then I was coming into this week. And as I was coming into this week, I was thinking, man, I don't know if this is the right time for this particular message series. Because I think about our family and I think about when we invite people into our home, especially guests, especially first-time guests. We're really good mess makers in our home. We are really good at making messes. And if guests are coming over, what do you do with your mess? Right? You try to clean it all up first. Right? Clean up all your mess before the guests come to your home. It's going to be messy around here for a while. It's going to be messy. And so I found myself second guessing, boy, what in the world are we doing talking about a message called guest room? What is that going to do? Because conventional wisdom would say, let's get back on track to great before we start talking about the great commission. Let's, let's not focus on welcoming a lot of people into a home that's going through so much construction. Well, all this to say, I was questioning, do we just change the whole direction of the series? But then came Monday, this Monday, the week I was going to work on this message called guest room. And I woke up on Monday and and like so many of you, because I know many of you and I know your schedules, like so many of you, I was coming into a week where there was way more to be done than ever could be done. A lot of us have really demanding jobs. And so to just have that piece was, was enough, but now it's also May. And if you have kids, May in particular is a just insane month. Emma had her one track meet of the year with her school. That was this week. My other daughter, Andra, her soccer team was firing up their season, and I'm the head coach of that. And so we had that whole piece and Mother's Day events and just all of these things happening. And then on Sunday, I, some of you heard that story about the titanium thing that got put in, in my, my mouth there. So I'm at a, my, getting ready for my coach's meeting, and a piece of metal falls out of my mouth while I'm having a meeting with one of my coaches. I'm thinking, I probably should have that looked at this week too, you know, prob probably. And, and so I wake up on Monday 
and I quick go for a quick run, but then I get ready for the real race, which I thought was going to be till like Sunday, but this race is going to, it's going to be a sprint from now until probably September. And so I'm thinking, as I'm getting ready to head out the door, I don't have time to pray this morning. I don't have time to look at the scriptures. I just got to get go and go do God's work. And I heard that still small voice say, you are too busy not to pray. And so I hit pause and I did my best to quiet my heart, quiet my mind. I sat down on our couch in the basement and I lifted my my petitions before the Lord. And then I opened up my Bible and and I was praying, okay, where, where should I go today? And Philemon comes to my mind. Philemon. That's exactly right. Phi who? What? Philemon. I open up, I'm like, I felt like I was supposed to to go there, and it just didn't make any sense, but I'm like, oh, it's only 25 verses long, so, you know, let's go with Philemon. So I'm reading Philemon, and I'm not elaborating, you guys. This is how it played out. Um, This is what I came across in verse 22. Again, what were we going to call today? Guest room. Verse 22. One more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. I found myself thinking, maybe we shouldn't give up too quick on guest room. And right there on my basement couch, I had a little God with us moment. Because whether or not we continued with that message series, it was just that little reminder that God, he knows all things, and he sees all things, and he's with us even when we don't understand all that's helping, happening. It was another reminder that God has sent us a helper who will lead and guide us if we make room for him, just as he's led and guided us all along. And so I closed my Bible, I headed off to the office, and then when I, and I had a lot of things to tend to. So I came home that night, and I opened up Philemon again, and this time, with our Welcome Home series, family words started to jump. I'm like, okay, maybe there's more to this than then some little proof text. And so all these family words started jumping out, home and brother and all this. And then the more I dug into that text, the more I realized this is for us now. It is for us always. And this is a vital passage. This is a vital book. This is a vital letter for the world. They need us to internalize this and live this out. So here we go. Philemon, start to finish. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to this little tiny book that has a lot to say. And even as we're turning here, if you don't have a Bible at home, I'd love to give you one free today. We, we've got copies there at the, the tables. We have them each and every week. Put one there. You'll never, you never know. Someday you might just open that up and, and, and you will have needed that passage that day or for that season. Here we go. Philemon, starting with verse 1. Paul, this is the author is saying this. Paul, a prisoner. So the author is Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker and his wife, possibly our sister, and this might be his son, the fellow soldier, and their names are really hard to pronounce. I'm not fooling anyone, am I? And the church that meets in your house. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is for us or in us for the sake of Christ. 
For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So this is how it opens up. Now, Paul, and we're going to call him Phil, the guy guy who this is addressed to, Paul and Phil have a backstory. When Paul was a young man, Paul used to actually persecute Christians. There's some irony going on here because now why is Paul in prison? For being a Christian and, and, and spreading the word of Christ. All right? Well, ironically, this, this young man who is now imprisoned um, for being a Christian was once out doing ministry, and he comes across a guy named Phil in a city called Ephesus. Well, Phil wasn't from Ephesus. Phil was 100 miles away in the city called Colossae. And he was a wealthy man. Maybe he was coming to Ephesus for business or something. But Phil goes from Colossae to Ephesus. He runs into Paul. Paul has enough guest room in his life to have a conversation. Phil decides, I'm going to become a Christian. Phil goes back home to Colossae. There's a church that started in his home. Been there, done that, right, Emma? Do you remember we used to have the printer down in our basement? Yeah, church printer. Well, even though they were miles apart, these men now, because he's now, Paul's writing from Rome in prison. Even though these men are miles apart, they're brothers in Christ. So much so that when Paul says that Phil refreshed the hearts of the saints, he doesn't use the Greek word cardia, which is more the heart heart. He uses a different word that we translate here as heart. It's splankna, and it means like your guts, like this whole section. So it doesn't translate very well into English, does it? From the guts, we love you. <laughs> okay. All right, so that's, that's what he says, we, we, but we kind of get the point there. Well, after this intro, Paul now makes a bold request. Paul makes a bold request of his splankna bro. He says, accordingly, Though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, now an old man and a prisoner for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, here's why this is bold. This isn't Paul's biological child here. There's backstory to this. Onesimus had been Phil's slave or bond servant. And what Paul is about to ask is going to sound real obvious to us. Paul's going to say, hey, bring this guy back as your brother in Christ. That might sound obvious to us, but we didn't live in Phil's world. And this would not have seemed obvious to Phil. Back in that day, in that time, rich people, they had bond servants. That's what they did. To them, it was as natural as owning a car or computer, if we can even fathom that. They were considered, those people were considered like a utility. And to say you shouldn't have bond servants would be that someone coming to you say, oh, you're a Christian now? You should not have electricity. You you should not have doors on your home. You should not have these things that we just think of as as basic. It would have been like saying that. Under Roman law... These bond servants, they had a dual status. By nature, they were considered persons, but from an economic standpoint, they were considered property. In fact, if the head of the household wanted to execute his bond servant, he could. And if something happened and the head of the household was found murdered, you know what they did to all of the bond servants in the house? They killed them all. They killed them all as a warning to society. 
Don't mess with this structure. Well, sometimes a bond servant's owner would develop enough trust where they'd say, here's some money, go conduct this business on my behalf. And a lot of scholars put two and two together. They say probably what happened here is things weren't good between Onesimus and, and Phil. And he had this opportunity, he got some money, and he took the money and ran. And then that song, Stevie Miller Band song, plays in my head right now. I can't get it out. Go on, take the money and run. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And where do you run to? Because Texas isn't on their map. But Rome was. Rome was. And we don't know for sure how a former slave of Phil the rich guy became a son in the faith to Paul, the prisoner for Christ, in Rome. But here's what we do know. Let's pick up with the story. Or the letter, I should say. Verse 11. Formerly, your bondservant was useless to you, he writes to Phil. But now he is indeed useful to you and me. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I've referred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. All right, did you see the word heart in that quote? Which one do you think they use, cardia or splankna? All right, so he's saying this is one of our splankna bros now. You guy, Phil, this, he's, he's with us. Paul applies the same guts term of endearment to Onesimus that he applied to Phil. And that's not all. There's also some wordplay going on here too. Some wordplay. Those of you who've studied this before, the Greek name Onesimus means what? Useful. Useful. And it was a very common name. They would call their bondservants often useful, which is very derogatory, but this is what they would do. Well, Paul says to Phil, he says, Mr. Take the Money and Run may have not been all that useful to you, but now he is useful to me. And here's how useful he was. This is fascinating to me. As someone who is skeptical of the authority of Scripture, I, I find this kind of stuff fascinating. Um, it appears as though Paul's letter to Phil isn't the only letter that Onesimus was carrying. It appears as though he also was carrying a letter to Christians in a town called Ephesus, a letter that we now call what? Ephesians. And not only that world-changing letter, but another world-changing letter. Where did Phil live? Colossae. There was another letter that Phil was carrying for those folks, a letter that we now call Colossians. Where do I get all this? Take a look at this. Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant of the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who's one of you. That's right there in the letter from Colossians. As someone who, again, wants to challenge the authority of Scripture, I love these biblical crossovers. It's just fascinating. All right, picking up verse 15. Paul continues, and as he continues, now he adds this perspective. He says, perhaps this whole thing, this whole big messy situation, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back now forever, no longer as a bondservant, but much more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you? Because now he's both in the flesh, in the Lord. 
Now, it might surprise you to know I'm not a linguist, but one of my sources said that the Greek verb that's here is passive in the phrase, perhaps this is why he was parted from you. What does that have to do with anything? It has to do with this. It's implied then that the actions that they were taking really was God working in and through all of this. It's similar to what happened in the Old Testament story of Joseph. Joseph was betrayed and sold into slavery by his brothers. It was their actions and they were wrong actions. And even though it was their actions and it was wrong actions, what does Joseph later say at the end? He says, it wasn't you who did this. It was God. Somehow in our messes, in our sin, in our mistakes, God is still at work redeeming and moving and bringing beauty from ashes. God had taken a messed up situation and he turned it into something beautiful. And so let me just ask here, how many of you, you don't have to put your hand up yet, how many of you have ever had an experience where something either happened to you that was completely wrong, completely evil, or you made a mistake that you regret or you did something that you just gave into some kind of temptation or something. How many of you now, with a show of hands, have seen God take something that was wrong or bad or tragic and bring good out of it? How many of you experienced that? Just leave your hands up for a second. You guys look around. Look around. God can work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God can redeem the seemingly unredeemable. Paul continues. He says, so, picking up with verse 17. So, if you consider me your partner, Phil, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So Paul makes his ask. He says, okay, Splunkna bro, it's time to step up. Your faith is going to cost you. I've sent your bondservant home. And I want you to receive him like you would receive me. Paul basically is saying, I am willing to pay the price for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am in prison for crying out loud. And even if I, pay the, if I have to pay the debt of my once prodigal son in the Lord, I'll do it. Now you as a partner, Phil, in this whole thing, are you willing to step up to? That's a big ask. Again, from our minds, it's a, that's easy, right? No, in that time, in that place, that was a big ask because it changed everything. What's going to happen to the rest of the bond servants in that house? What's going to happen to the rest of the bond servants on the block? This is going to change everything. May I present to you that living this out will change everything. You bring a new child into your house, it changes everything. You bring a new person into your life, it can change everything. You get real with somebody that you kind of knew, it can change everything. Doing this can change everything. 
It turns everything upside down. Making real guest room always does. Let's close this um, section of Scripture out here. Verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I'll be graciously given to you. And then this is, again, fascinating to me. There's some guy named E. I don't even want to talk about him. My fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ. He sends greetings to you, but I, I'm going to talk about the next guy in a second. So does who? Starts with them. Mark. Okay? So do Mark. Remember that name. And then there's another person whose name's really long, but we'll go to the next one. Demas. Remember that name too. Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit. All right? If you ever do the with every head bowed, every eye closed kind of prayer thing, if it's sincere, if it's sincere, a new life begins. And if that new life begins, it's going to be hard and it's going to be messy. Why do we say that? Because we can see right here. Look at these names. Mark. Read Acts 15 if you've never read Acts 15. And look at what happened with Mark and with Paul. And this guy Demas. If you're not familiar with I'm, 2 Timothy 4.10, look that up. Because sometime after this, things didn't go so well with those two. The kind of family that God calls us into, it is hard, hard, hard work, isn't it? But let me say this. It is good, good Good, good, good work. Because it can change us and it can change the world. It's important work. It's good work. I took a quote from a guy named N.T. Wright who was writing about these things and I included it in your, in your um, notes. And I encourage you to take a look at this. And this, this is the kind of stuff you have to read several times because it's just so rich. But I'll read it once. He says this. He says, what we're watching here, of course, in all of this is a living example of the Christian practice of reconciliation. There are lots of heavy theological words ending in Asian, and it's easy to hear them and not really take them for the beautiful things they are. We are often like someone seeing the outside cover of a music tape or CD, being vaguely interested in it, but never listening to the music inside. If we listen, however, to the music of the word reconciliation, we will realize that it is the music that will heal the world. Isn't that well said? Reconciliation is the music that will heal the world. Last week after the service, um, Jeff House came up to me and he told me a story and he said, there was this pastor who was telling once of something that happened at his church. And the something was there was a gang member who got baptized. He came to faith in Christ and he got baptized. And he started being active in the church. And, and then over time, they didn't see him anymore. Well, the, the pastor was out and about one day and, and came across the guy. And he said, hey, gang member guy. Um, he probably didn't call him that, but he said, I haven't seen you at church for a long time. What's up? The gang member's guy said, well... Pastor, I thought when I got baptized into your church, it'd be like when I got jumped into my gang and I'd have people. And all God's people said, ouch. All God's people said, ouch. This guy, he wasn't looking for slick programming. He wasn't looking for feel-good messages. He was looking for something a lot deeper than that. 
you know, and this morning I was doing my final prep and, and my thoughts went to a town hall meeting that we had four years ago in our little church office basement, which is no longer our basement. And I remember that meeting and I remember that we were getting real with one another. And it was really important that we did. And we're talking and we're discussing and we're getting real. And sitting in that room was a, a couple that was new to our church. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, I wish that they were here on the other side of this. I wish they were here after we'd resolved all of these things and we'd moved forward. And, and, and this is just hard to have some people who are just considering our church to be in the midst of just getting real as a family. And I talked to them afterwards, and they actually said no. And they're still here to this day. They said no. This was actually really good to come in. You know, I can't remember all the words there, but, but kind of it was that, that whole idea of we're not looking for a show. We're not looking for, you know, programming. We want something real. You know? And that's, that's our church. That's, that's us. Um, as much as it depends on me in this position that I've got, we will not allow there to be one part of us that you see up front and another part that happens behind the scenes. That's not us. You know, and it won't always look slick and it won't always look awesome, but here's what it is. You know, it's, it's, it's us saying instead of you're out there and I'm up here, it's us saying, okay, here we are, you know. This is us. This is our church. So those of you who are here for the fan club, those of you who are visiting for the first time, that's our invitation. Welcome into our mess. And, and if I had stopped looking and praying and studying halfway through the week, that's probably where I would have closed the service. We invite you to experience God with us, with these people who are trying to be real and all that kind of stuff. But really, that's not the emphasis of our invitation because we're going to be thrilled for you if God calls you to the church of Rome or if he calls you to the church of Ephesus or if he calls you to the church of Phil's basement. You know, it's not about the with us. It's about the other piece. It's about the experience God. Isn't that what our main invitation is? And isn't that really what we see happening in Philemon here? So I'm going to encourage you to write this down. We invite people to experience God with us. Isn't that what we want more than anything? To experience a God who, who calls us towards reconciliation. To experience a God who could weave all of that stuff together. And 2,000 years later, we're looking back and see how God used something this broken for good. A broken system where people would put others into slavery. A, a broken system where within that system, things were so bad, even with, with the checks and balances, that this guy felt he had to flee. Something so bad that where he ended up fleeing to was he fled to a place where a guy was in prison because he was a Christian. Yet the whole thing is broken. And yet, there's a God who can make all things for good. Isn't, aren't there some people that we know that need that? Amen. Amen. I was even thinking when you were leading us in Draw Me Close to You. I love that song. And the first service I had a moment with it. I got all choked up because it brought me back to my 18-year-old self when I got called into this thing called the church. I got called into this thing called the church. And at the end of the day, draw me close to you. That's what it's about. And all this wonderful relationships, that's bonus. That's bonus. Experience God with us. That's our invitation. So here's the last thing I want to leave you with um, as far as something to write down. We'll have a, just a 
brief closing thought. God is asking us to prepare a guest room like never before. And that guest room isn't just for our neighbors and friends. He's asking us to rethink, are we really preparing room for himself and what he really asks of us? When what he asks of us is big. N.T. Wright, last quote, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. N.T. Wright says this, and this is also in your notes, in really, really small print, which is hard for these old eyes. Can God work through things that are of themselves wicked or unhappy? Most certainly. The greatest act of rescuing love that God ever did, and did moreover in person, was the death of Jesus on the cross. For his followers, this was the greatest tragedy of their lives. For his enemies, it was an act of folly, wickedness, and shame. Somehow, throughout the New Testament, all this was put together that the cross of Jesus becomes the point in which God, in sovereign love, takes up the pain and sin of the world and deals with it in himself. That, in fact, precisely what Paul had in mind in this passage was that. He doesn't mention the cross here. Rather, he applies it. On the cross, Jesus hung with arms outstretched between heaven and earth, making a bridge upwards and downwards between God and the human race, and side to side between warring factions of earth. And Paul grasped the truth that so many had missed. His achievement of reconciliation is put into effect when his people follow the same pattern. Amen. When people allow the cross to shape their lives, the love of God is set free to change and heals in ways he cannot imagine. With that, if you'd be so kind, if you would join and stand with me, and if you'd like to join us in praying the Lord's Prayer as we close today, I would invite you to do so. We have the words printed in your um, notes. And at the conclusion of the service, if you'd like to pray with someone about anything, because we know there's a lot of situations where we'd love to see and know that God is with us, we would love to have you head back to the back of the room. There's people that would love to pray with you. All right, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together as we close. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.